Hello and welcome to Not So Molly Mormon Podcast. Hi, it's Kelly again. And it's Katie again, as usual. (laughs) (laughs) We're so happy to have Kelly back and I'm happy to be here. We're recording at kind of a different time for me. It feels a little weird, but cool. I'm into it. Um, (laughs) And Kelly is taking the reins and giving the lesson and everything today. So I'm just going to be here enjoying with the rest of you, which I'm, okay. I'm so excited for. <laughs> I am so excited to be here today. Thank you, brothers and sisters, for oh. um, coming and joining me. But, you know, first, we're going to start with our opening exercises. Mm-hmm. Katie, do you have any announcements? I don't have any announcements. Okay. Just thank you for sure. asking. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so, okay. I'm going to start with my journal time. And again, because I mean, this, this, this is going to be another heavy podcast by Kelly. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to talk about what happened to me on February 22nd of 1995. Oh my gosh. Title is cars. Apparently that was the topic we were given. My brother, and th- there are underlines and like triple underlines here. So I was very emphatic <laughs> and excitable about this topic. Um, <laughs> my brother is 16 and has a driver's license and a car an ugly, beat-up old Volkswagen. It is ancient, y'all. <laughs> Throwing was, the shade. <laughs> oh, it was ancient, you guys. It was like, I remember it from when I was like four, five, like baby. My dad had this this freaking Volkswagen Beetle that was like, the paint was coming off. Anyway, like you couldn't <laughs> lean on it because the paint would come off on you. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so it was ancient. Um It was like his second time to drive a stick shift, and he was just about to give me whiplash. But anyways, (laughs) I like driving cars. (laughs) And I go on about that. I'm 14. Mm -hmm. Oh. Super, super learned about driving vehicles. Yeah. I said, anyways, my boyfriend is in love with cars, especially Ford trucks, Dodge (laughs) Vipers, and 95 Mustangs. I don't have a favorite (laughs) car, though. That's how I ended it. And little 14-year-old Kelly had a boyfriend. Yes, you guys. Kurt Savante Fogelberg the third. Oh, I remember that name. Yes, now, yes. yes. I was so <laughs> in love. I was, the third. I was, oh, yeah. No, I was. He he was so sweet. He was a really good boyfriend, you guys. It was good to have the first one be nice, kind of. Yeah. And the last one be nice, so it's kind of sandwiched. Oh, there you go. You just yeah. All of the... Re- it's a shit sandwich with all the shit in the middle and the nice exactly. breads on the outside. Yeah. Speaking of shit, <laughs> oh I don't think I can go there, but um, yeah, I was just, I sent Sarah that. Uh, so something happened to me today, you guys. It's happened to Sarah. I think it's happened to everybody. Don't fucking lie. It's happened to you. Um, <laughs> I was driving around to work today and um I I got out at one of my stores and I was like, oh my God, my pants are wet. Like what the fuck happened? And, um, I had sharted you guys. (laughs) Oh my God. We've needed the poop humor back. No. Oh oh my God. And like having to drive home 30 minutes. Oh, 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 it's just so terrible. I mean, and like it literally, I had no idea. That's what's so sad. That just tells you how often I fart. Uh, <laughs> okay. Oh my God. I 
I've got to tell you when um when I called you on Skype, my, I was initially going to be like, "Oh, hey, what's up, poopy pants?" <laughs> it would but then not I have hurt my feelings at all. Like, too soon, maybe this literally happened today. But then, since you brought it up on the podcast, I feel like it's okay to it's okay to joke about it. But oh my god, Kelly texted me, and I was just like, "Oh, girl, no." <laughs> sent it to Sarah and she's like everybody does it if they don't they're lying <laughs> okay so yeah that's my my story for the day but oh, um so maybe fabulous. if I was following the word of wisdom that wouldn't have happened oh I love a good segue that was I mean, delicious that was scrumptious thank you that's just you know revelation I'm mm. getting inspiration from Satan Satan um, yeah because the Holy Ghost does not like us apparently but you know what that's okay because satan's way cooler you know i'm not a fan of his either so you know i'm learning that not everybody (laughs) has to like me (laughs) yeah exactly we're not everybody's cup of tea and we're not the mormon's cup of tea because they can't drink tea but um (laughs) (laughs) okay that was good katie i'll I'll give you that maybe you know i'd give it a thumbs up not quite a heart or a ha ha it's not great but So what I am going to cover today is, uh, again, I said another heavy topic. Uh, It's addiction and recovery, Mm. specifically focusing on alcoholism. But this this content is good for anybody with any kinds of addictions or anything you're struggling with. Or, you know, if a a lot of the recovery stuff kind of goes over how to avoid addictions. And sometimes, you guys, we might be addicted to, you know, the church. We might be addicted to a bad relationship. You know, it doesn't have to be a a substance that to to quantify it or to, to, you know, say it's an addiction. Like I've had lots of exercise addictions and things like that, but what we're going to focus on is my alcoholism today, which is super fun. I'm really excited. (laughs) But, you know, I, I, I was telling Katie that like every time I do one of these, it's like, it, it's so healing and I have so many like aha moments. And um, so it's worth it. So I'm really hoping I have some aha moments here, right? Yes, you will. I know you will. So I wanted to talk about how the church teaches us about, about alcohol, like what they teach us about alcohol. Um, So I went to the uh, lesson, uh, lesson number five for young women's in um, for the church of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Okay. All right. So it begins with saying that the word of wisdom. So the word of wisdom, you guys, is in it's a thing in Doctrine and Covenants that uh, Joseph Smith made up. And the reason (laughs) he did, uh, it's explained by Brigham Young, the first school of the prophets, which was a special school for early leaders of the church, uh, was held in a small room situated over the prophet Joseph's kitchen. This is where the prophet received revelations and in which he instructed his brethren. The brethren came to that place for hundreds of miles to attend school in a little room, probably no larger than 11 by 14 feet. When they assembled together in this room after breakfast, the first thing they did was to light their pipes and, while smoking, talk about the great things of the kingdom and (laughs) spit all over the room. And soon as the was taken out of their mouths a large chew of tobacco would then be taken you know what I bet they sharded too I bet they did I was just gonna say I bet that room was so goddamn smelly not only from the tobacco and all that but they didn't have as good of hygiene 
back in the day. Oh my god, I didn't so, you know all the bo in this tiny room, <gasps> and then someone's inevitably gonna fart and possibly <laughs> shart. So I. <laughs> I would not want to be in that room. I tell you. No. <laughs> oh, so well, even Emma Smith wouldn't want to be in that room. Um, because Joseph Smith, he uh he decided that he was going to give this revelation because Emma was like, dude, this is my fucking house and it smells like shark. So we <laughs> have to fix this. Well, yeah, because you know he wasn't cleaning up after after his friends. He would I, make Emma exactly. do it. And he's like, she's like, I don't want to clean the shart room. Like, tell them they can't smoke and chew tobacco. And he, he couldn't Sharting just do that. Sharting is not acceptable either. Um, <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> what I was thinking was, like, he basically used Heavenly Father as a total cop-out. Absolutely. Because he's like, he's like, I don't want to tell my friends they can't smoke and drink. And so he's like, God will tell them and <laughs> yeah. they'll listen to God. God said you guys can't chew in here. I know it's totally lame, but that's what God said. So you just got to do it. Just, I'm sorry. You know, can't blame me. <laughs> yeah, can't blame me. Blame God. Same with yeah. polygamy. <laughs> so the funny thing about this is the the members of the, the church like to say that they were the first people who basically said alcohol was bad. Like they were on the forefront of um, science is mm. what they think. However, fun fact, they, uh, the temperance movement was like going on since, I mean, they were talking about alcohol in the early 19th century and um, overindulgence was kind of like frowned upon finally. And so yeah. they had these little temperance societies um, started around the 1810s. Um, but typically just stayed in those regions. So they, uh, the Temperance Society of Pennsylvania was founded in 1819. And yes, and Mr. Joseph Smith, he came up with this revelation in 1833. I was going to guess it was going to be sometime after 1830. So he, he had a lot of opportunity to hear about this from somewhere else. Lots of revelations. Um, yeah. <laughs> so he, you know, they, they talk about the substances that you're not supposed to eat, right? Or like coffee and tea. And it, it says it increases your blood pressure, pulse rate, and can affect your sleep. That's what they say about coffee and tea, why you can't have it. Oh, my. I, I can mean, I, the... yes, go, go. <laughs> I just, I know you'll probably get into it, but. You know, anything caffeinated can probably do something similar to that. But they drink so much caffeine in soda and energy drinks. Yep. So that doesn't make sense to me, that reasoning. Because no. if they really were supposed to avoid all that stuff, why why isn't Diet Coke forbidden as well or anything like that? I mean, I probably would have left the church a lot sooner had it been. <laughs> yeah, you're my Diet Coke gal. You, you oh love my them. Gosh. I do. I love me a Diet Coke, which uh, was okay in the church's opinion. Yeah. Um, so but they you also can't have a glass of green tea. Oh no! Oh heavens, no! That's going to give you increased increased blood pressure, pulse rate, sleep. You're gonna die. Okay. <laughs> You'll get chlamydia and die. <laughs> yes, that's pretty much how they teach it. Um, and like, feel free to interject because I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the word of wisdom because, you know, I've got so much content. So, yeah. And we've um, covered it. So, oh, yeah, exactly. So, like, go back, y'all. 
do your due diligence. Um, it talks about tobacco. It says you're going to die. <laughs> your children will die. It pretty much says that. It's like if you smoke, then you're going to get cancer and your children will be, uh, you know, have lung disease and it could they could die. This is in the young woman's lesson. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, know. yeah, smoking is really, really bad for you, but <laughs> I mean, uh, I just the fear mongering. Like, yes, I don't think anyone should smoke, but I mean, yeah, it's it just says, intense the way it is. Okay, here's the sentence: Babies who whose parents smoke also have a greater risk of suffering from chronic lung disease after they become adults. All right. Well, have it. don't smoke around babies. Uh, I guess Dang I can't man. argue with that. But um, as long as the kid's not inhaling your smoke, I think it, I think the kid will be okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and it's your choice. You know, do what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are two paragraphs that are dedicated to alcohol. Okay. And it basically... It says that, you know, drinking alcohol is horrible. It's terrible for you. It can cause all these things and you could even death. That's in there. But then it talks about alcoholics. People who become addicted to alcoholic beverage beverages are called alcoholics. Alcoholics drink so much alcohol that it damages their bodies, especially the liver and digestive tract. Alcoholics may also suffer from other diseases such as cancers and ulcers more frequently than people who do not use alcohol. Women who drink alcohol during pregnancy may give birth to smaller babies or babies with various defects. In addition, this is what really, really fucking disturbed me. Um, In addition to the above mentioned physical damage, alcoholic beverages can also use, wait, can also cause other undesirable consequences. All too often, a drunken parent abuses family members. Oh, Children come to fear rather than respect a drinking parent. Mm. Families suffer because their income is wasted on alcoholic beverages instead of being used for food, clothing, and educational needs. They're not taking into account any nuance here because, because this is the trope. This is what you see on TV or you read in a book of the abusive alcoholic father who won't feed his children and who leaves the house a mess and constantly is abusing his wife. And it's like, sure, those people exist. But a lot of times alcoholics can be people just trying to survive and they still can take care of their children. They just have an addiction. And it doesn't. Yeah. Right. It doesn't mean that if you're an abuser, you're going to be an abuser, whether or not you're drunk. You know what I'm saying? Like, thank you. Just getting if you're not an abusive person, getting drunk should not make you abusive. Ooh. In most that, cases, like we're going to stick a pin in that because I see a okay. sidewalk cupcake up the road. <laughs> OK, good. Because, okay. yeah, that's it's uh, it, it makes it into such a stereotype when sure there are alcoholics like that that exist pieces of shit. But there are also alcoholics just they're just regular people that are trying to get through something. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty ridiculous. And it talks about um you know, helping others. And oh my gosh. So it tells a story about this guy who stood up to his captain in the military and he was like, I'm not going to drink alcohol. And the captain was like, totally giving him a hard time. And (laughs) I know he was like, drink it, you know, like Satan. Um, 
And he was like, no. And he's like, well, you can at least have a cigar. And he's like, no, my morals, blah, blah, blah. And so it says that this guy, this captain ended up getting promoted to like, I don't know, something, lieutenant, whatever. And uh, he, he asked this kid to help him with a project. Didn't give him a promotion or anything. It literally, he was just like, hey, can you help me with this? And he told him it's because he could trust him implicitly because he hadn't drank alcohol and stuck what? to not drinking alcohol. So <laughs> that basically says that, you know, mm-hmm. if you stand up for yourself, you're going to get all these blessings and all this stuff is going to happen to you. And people are going to respect you even more if you don't drink. And, you know, also, if you look down on them for for drinking, that's going to be super helpful, too. <laughs> Right. If you judge them and be all holier than thou, like I'm better than you. I don't drink. You know what? No one really cares that much. I think it's very rare that there's like, especially amongst adults, someone says, I don't drink. We're like, okay, cool. We're not, I'm not ever going to sit around and be like, what? You're not going to have a glass of wine. Oh, you're such a loser. I'd be like, okay, that's your choice. I don't right? care. <laughs> I know. Oh my God. And like, seriously, that is a problem that happened to me. Um, when I was drinking, like I went out to dinner with some of my friends and I was, you know, being open about, about drinking and this girl just, Oh my God. She was just like, I'm so uncomfortable. And, you know, I just really feel like that this isn't really the time. Do you really need this? So it like completely fucked with my head. Right. Yeah. That's going to just like, that's one of the things that kind of helped shape, um, the alcoholic version of, of Kelly. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's interesting how they, they say here in this lesson, um, you should tolerate, we should be tolerant of those who are struggling to obey the word of wisdom. <laughs> I, I okay. Tolerant. Tolerant, especially if this person is not a Mormon, it's, you're not tolerating or being tolerant of anything. That's their life and they don't believe in those rules. So yeah. it's not, it, <laughs> they, they're not going to follow it because they don't believe in it. That's so silly. I know, exactly. Um, <laughs> but be tolerant of them, even though they had a coffee, just be tolerant. <laughs> so already we know if we drink, we're going to become alcoholics and we're going to beat our children and we're going to die. Okay? Oh, yeah. All those uh, things. Okay. So, and I just want to preface okay. this that that's like, that is what they teach. Like at the, actually what Kelly is reading is the lessons that we got to. Yeah. And it, it was told to you that if you have one drink, there's a huge chance that you're going to become an alcoholic. And of course, there are the few people who that will happen, but more likely than not, that's not going to happen. But then this adds another layer, I'm sure, for you of shame because it did happen to you. And so in your head, you're like, oh, my God, like the church was right. Or maybe not thinking that, but, you know, oh, that's no, the conscious I... part of you. Oh, no, there was a very conscious part of oh, me okay. that had a lot of shame about it because – as I mentioned in my patriarchal blessing ruined my birthday episode, um, I it was in my my patriarchal blessing that if I obeyed the word of wisdom, I would have knowledge and I don't know, oh, okay. just all this stuff. So yeah, health in the navel, marrow in the bones, you know, blah blah blah. <laughs> so weird, <laughs> just so weird. Like who says that? Um, <laughs> God does. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's interesting because it's like people, they, they don't teach moderation here. Absolutely not. That is the big problem, I believe. There, like, There is like, it is bad. Right. You've got yes. good and you've and got bad. bad. And there's just abstinence 
or whatever. You're even, Alcoholic. Even with, yeah, or even with sex, right? It's nothing. But then when you get married, you have lots of sex and babies. But it's oh. like, yeah, it's very black and white with how they teach things. No moderation. So no wonder people, when they leave the church, struggle, even with just small things of like, I don't even know what I want to even try to drink. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't I don't even know the beginnings of anything because it was just taboo for so long. You didn't even look at it. <laughs> this is cracking me up and giving me life because I remember <laughs> when I first started drinking, uh, y'all know me, I go like all in to whatever I'm doing. And I was like all in to like experiencing all of the alcohol at the same time. <laughs> and uh, so the first time that I went to drink, I ordered uh, a beer and a margarita because oh, at know, the same time. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and that was very smart, you guys to combine beer and liquor the first mm. time you drink. Oh, boy. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> I know. And then after that, I was like, eh, I'm just going to stick with liquor because, you know, it's lowering calories. <laughs> so oh. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. And I would just drink like straight vodka because I was like, this is what, how it's done. Because I oh. had no fucking clue. Yeah. No one had. We we have had no idea how any of all we had reference to was like, if you see it in the movies or something. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Or see somebody on the side of the road and you're like, oh, they're an alcoholic. They're a bad person. Oh, yeah. Not and that, that they might be struggling with mental health right. issues. And that judgment that I used to have of people oh. that would drink or maybe were unhoused and maybe smelled like alcohol. And I would judge them. And that makes me so sad and mad at my previous self to, oh. that I didn't have that compassion. <sighs> you were not taught to have that compassion. You were taught the opposite. And you know, it's funny, I was just thinking, like, if you're drinking, uh, you're around drinking buddies, and somebody says, Oh, I'm not drinking. And then somebody kind of freaks out about it. And is like, Oh, why are you not drinking? You're not going to drink, you're not going to drink 1000%. They have a problem with alcohol, a mm -hmm. bajillion percent. Because if they're super, yeah. super, super fucking concerned about what you're taking in your body, like they obviously want to justify what they're doing. Mm. I know this, because I fucking did it. So I can mm. say it. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. So, yeah. I, in my opinion, I could be wrong because again, I am not a doctor and I didn't get my bachelor's degree. So I'm not that smart. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> I, but it makes sense that it would be projecting of, uh, you know, someone says they're not drinking and then just to press them on it. Why, why, why? It's like, yeah. Um, none of your business, but I know, okay. <laughs> I know. The, the, the world of alcohol is so complicated and, um, damaging in my opinion but it like if you you have moderation it's totally fine um but anyway so they tell this story about you know how after like this guy was able to help this really cool lieutenant out with like a project probably moving you know that's what mormons do is they just move people <laughs> um, uh, they tell this story about uh, this woman went to a, a wedding reception and she didn't know anybody there. And she just like ran over and found this seat, just nobody all by herself. And she only, well, obviously she knew the bride and groom because how fucked up would that have been? Yeah. I was going to be like, well, she probably knows someone. <laughs> she was not a wedding crasher. Sorry. Um, so she, you know, there was only spiked punch being passed around. It, it was like really tripping her out. And she was like, oh my gosh, you know, what am I going to do? And she says in a corner was a small punch bowl and cups with balloons of character, car cartoon characters tied to the handles. This was the plain punch for the children. <laughs> Why is the unspiked punch always so far away from the rest of the proceedings? I wondered. 
how thirsty I was. <laughs> so fucking dumb. <laughs> but how could I go to the unspiked punch table and get a glass of punch with a cartoon character balloon attached? Get just get yourself. a regular, just get a regular cup and go over there. I mean, just, yeah, you're sure. overthinking it, ma'am. <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> overthinking this. <laughs> She's like, all the kids were there, the flower girls, the ring bearer and his companions, they're all lined up. And then she's like, I could hold a regular punch glass and I wouldn't drink the spiked punch. See, that that was her way about it. You know, she would just hold it and not drink it. Oh, but she finally, you know, caved under not peer pressure, the opposite of peer pressure of basically wanting to please the Lord. She went and got her balloon and her her cup. And then this kid walks up to her and he's like, hey. And she's like, hey, and he's like, I know you, you're the the gospel doctrine teacher for such and such ward. And she was like, oh, yeah, I am. And she didn't know that there were members there. And they said that they were going to drink before they saw her not drink, that they were really <laughs> tempted to drink. <laughs> I can't handle this story. This is so ridiculous. <laughs> He, the kid who was telling her that he almost drank had just gotten his mission call and then he uh, died a week later wait what I don't know he died I was like what does that have to do with the story that is what what I guess <laughs> she's saying he didn't drink alcohol and yet he still died but he died having not drank alcohol so he was worthy I don't oh, know so he can go to heaven yes but what this is teaching Katie is that you're <laughs> always watched Oh, absolutely. Is, I did not realize that until like really going through this lesson because, you know, I haven't looked at this stuff in a long time and it's just disturbing. Because, yeah. Major surveillance. Like, yes. And everyone's watching each other to tattletale or to judge or whatever. Yes. And so you have to always do right, because if somebody sees you do wrong, the shame, the guilt, the, you know, ostracization. Yeah. Or even um, the appearance of evil, holding the regular exactly. punch cup. Someone would think, well, it looks like you're drinking alcohol. And just how absolutely silly is that? Just if you had a little half of a glass of spiked punch, you probably wouldn't even feel anything. They're making such a big deal <laughs> out of something that it's like, oh, oh, I accidentally had... I had a glass of champagne versus a glass of Martinelli's that I've never had alcohol before. And, oh, now I've sinned. It's like, oh, it's not that, you know, it's not that big of a deal it's if you're not, really not, if you don't have an issue with it. Like if you don't have an addiction to it, then I think you'll be okay. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I think you'll live and it, it'll be all right. You toasted at your friend's wedding and had a sip of champagne. You'll be okay. You're not oh, going not. to you'll die, die from week, like that, like that poor kid in that story. I don't I know. <laughs> <That's really sad. laughs> I mean, seriously, what does that have to do with the story? But it's like, in okay. my head, I'm like, he died without ever filling a buzz of alcohol. That's, I know. Pro- and without having had sex, you guys, like oh, that's that, really the problem. That is. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, the end just talks about blessings of obeying the law of health. And there is not one fucking sentence about recovery. Not one. Oh, it's never addressed. I mean, now that you say that, I don't recall ever hearing about 
recovery at all in a church capacity. It was just like, oh, they're addicted or they're on drugs or whatever. And it's kind of like, oh, like stay away from them. Not how can we help and how can they get better? Oh, you know what I found out though? What? After, oh, so they do have a 12 step program. Oh, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like taught by sister, uh, older missionaries, mm-hmm. senior missionaries and who don't have any experience yeah. Um, Did you know they do that for quote unquote sex addicts as well? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that like a man will come into his bishop and say he's watched porn. Oh, I watched porn three times last month. I must be addicted. And then he sends him to these classes taught by the elder missionaries about sex addiction when most of them aren't addicted to sex. It's uh, so ugh, I just don't like it. <laughs> I know. And yeah, there's no, nothing about it's all very secret. Everybody hides whatever kind of addiction you might have and mm. you figure out ways to justify it, which makes it even worse, you guys. Yeah. Um. So I'll tell you all my little story about Please. alcohol. <laughs> Yay. Um, story time. Uh, so I started drinking in, when I was like 29, I believe. Uh and it was like I was trying to make up for lost time, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, had no idea what I was doing and just, you know, wasn't having a problem with it. I was just drinking. And then, you know, I started going through the divorce and I started riding my bike. And um, the cycling world is so, like I addressed in, in one of the episodes, the cycling community is extremely heavy uh, alcohol users. They, they all, um, not saying that they're all drunks or anything. <laughs> I'm just saying that a lot of people will drink because and it's, it's like, prevalent in that community yeah. It is quite prevalent in that community. And so, you know, I it loved that because after rides, I would get a nice cold beer and, um, you know, that was normal. That wasn't pleasant. That was pleasurable. Yeah, um, yeah. So then I, you know, I pretty much stopped drinking because I, I just wanted to go clean. And um, I went to a some sort of like party and this person was like, do you want to have a drink? It was one of those situations, you guys. It's like, do you want to have a drink? And I'm like, no, nah, I really don't drink that much. And he's like, what is, what's wrong with you? You don't need a drink like that's at the end weird. of a hard day. That's weird. I think you shouldn't say that. You need to just respect people's choices and autonomy. And also, like, what if you had been pregnant and you didn't want to tell anyone yet? I mean, you know, there's yeah. if there's any number of reason that someone doesn't want to drink and a lot of them are not anybody's business. <laughs> I was just going to say that it is absolutely no one's business. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, then I had that, you know, I felt like I was walking on the wild side a little bit, being a little bit of a rebel. Mm-hmm. And um, it's so funny because the person who convinced me to drink was a uh, member of the church. No way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I Her name was Amy. And um she was like, it's not that big of a deal. Just, you know, tell Travis that you're just going to do it. You're just going to drink. And I was like, okay. So then I started drinking, but I mean, it was fine. She was, I'm glad that she, uh, I'm glad that she actually introduced me to, to nuance because that, that rocked my world. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, when I went through the divorce, I used alcohol as a major crutch because I had also been, um, the day after my divorce was finalized, I was fired from my job. And mm. so like, I had nowhere to go. I had nothing to do. I was like living in an apartment. I had just freshly gotten divorced. I yeah. had two kids. And so I, 
I had to numb it. Like it was so uncomfortable. And because I was feeling so much shame and guilt for drinking and thinking, okay, I'm one of those cautionary tales. Like I left the church. They're going to think I left the church so I could drink. And, you know, at the time it kind of was the reason I was out of the church, which made me feel even worse about myself. I was like, you know, drinking and, and that made me feel, it didn't make me feel, I have to own my feelings. I felt as though I definitely couldn't go to church. I couldn't be myself around my friends, my church friends, because we all saw what happened when I wanted a fucking Long Island iced tea at the BJ's. I was just like, what the hell? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, that that sent me. But I want to say, like, this is, uh, you're really, um, I'm really getting a lot from this because it's, you were in going through so much and hadn't learned proper coping mechanisms. And it was just so intense that you needed something to help you get through and to help numb it. But then when you weren't maybe drinking, you would have that intense shame about drinking, which then would cycle back to, I need something to help the shame and these painful feelings. And it's really um, illuminating to me. And I think it just speaks to, the human just that the humanness of you and and of how you you are so open and it it's really relatable it and maybe it's not alcohol that people uh you know would have an issue with but with almost anything there's that cycle that you go through when you're trying to break out of something and you don't know quite where you belong and I think that's really great that you pointed that out yeah um you basically summed up those alcohol years (laughs) that was awesome like I love that was very, uh, very succinct and perfect. I love how you said that. Um, yeah, I've, I've been through some shit Yeah, (laughs) and you you know, because you aren't taught coping skills, you're taught that you need to pray or go to church or go to a priesthood leader, something like that. Yeah. Nothing to do with how you help yourself, how you prevent doing, you know, prevent over drinking, just, you know, moderation is normal. It's not, they are taught that it's bad. And so I was doing something that was bad. Yeah. Right. And, and then, yeah, the, the praying thing, like, well, if you're feeling bad or shameful, just pray. But then if you don't feel better after you pray, there's more guilt and shame because there's, it's like, well, there must be something I'm doing wrong. Even when I'm praying that I'm not getting relief. It's so, it's, so twisted like the mm-hmm. the way that they just they, they control you so deeply yes. and uh, it just has the longest longest lasting effect mm-hmm. um so after after that thing happened at um BJ's I I started <laughs> I know I love that place um <laughs> I started hiding it I started like because you know, I wanted to hide it from my husband. I didn't want him to think that I was drinking too much. And I didn't want my friends of the church to know that I was drinking this much. And so I hid it. I was going Mm -hmm. through the divorce and I was alone, um, which is how I do things. Um, And I drank to get through it. And, um, you know, my boyfriend, he, who's my husband now, he had an alcoholic father. And so I knew that that was super triggering for him. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, we would still drink together and, you know, I would get drunk and, uh, you know, it was just the thing that we would do together, but then I would hide like drinking 
additional drinks beforehand. You know, I would pregame. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I would drink afterwards. And it was like, it got to the point where I had so much guilt and shame, like, inside of me, like my husband, you know, it, it started when we were just dating. And then once we got married and moved in together, I wasn't able to hide it as well. Right. And I didn't want him to not love me because I liked to drink alcohol and his dad, you know, I didn't want him to be triggered and think that I was going to turn into his father. Um, and so he started finding the, the bottles of wine that I was hiding and, um, it, it became a really big problem, obviously. So I, I decided I was going to get help. Like I needed to go to Alcoholics Anonymous and figure my shit out. And, um, I did for a while and it worked for a little bit that first time. But then after I had gone through a lot of therapy and, um, you know, I just felt like it wasn't, it wasn't the right thing for me because it became too triggering. Once I was, you know, deconstructing, trying to deconstruct the church, going to AA felt like a cult. Oh yeah. And it, it doesn't it have some religious undertones as well. Oh, exactly. Yes. Yeah. I looked up um, the format for AA meetings and um, I don't know where my phone is, but basically what you do is you meet together and there is a script that the person leading the, the meeting has to follow. And it feels very, very, very much like testimony meeting. Um, oh man. So there's those long silences. Yeah. Where nobody talks. <laughs> oh, it's so awkward. It's so uncomfortable. And then, you know, like, trying to bear your soul to strangers in like face-to-face people you don't know it's just really hard and I know you know that's vulnerability that helps with healing and stuff like that but at the time I was just like I just I can't do this um and now look at me sharing from you know podcast (laughs) so much growth (laughs) I know um so much oversharing uh so you know, I went to these AA classes or AA sessions and I never connected to anybody because that's how I am. And like I had a sponsor who was trying to help me through the 12 steps. I got so annoyed that it was so God-centered. Yeah. I couldn't do it because I didn't believe in anything. And it's like, you, you know, these sessions were reminding me of a testimony meeting. They ended with everybody gathering in a circle holding hands and saying a prayer. Oh, what does no. that remind you of? Yeah, no. I, yeah, the mm-mm. temple. So I I just, I, I couldn't do it anymore. And, um, you know, I slipped back into to drinking. And then when my dad was dying, holy shit, that was when I went off the rails. Like when he, he got cancer, I, that was when I started drinking even more heavily. And that was actually around the time that we were, my team was sponsored by a distillery here in Mm. Austin. And so I had shit ton of, you know, cases of vodka in, in my garage. So I would, you know, I I had easy access to alcohol at all times. And then it's acceptable to be drinking, you know, during cycling events. And, you know, it's just, everything is just okay. Like it's so socially acceptable. But what I was doing was because I felt so much shame is I was hiding it so that I, and also drinking continuously because I didn't want to deal with the issues of my dad. I could not feel those big feelings. I couldn't feel anything at all. 
I was numb. Yeah, yeah. And like whenever I would start thinking about, you know, losing my dad and, you know, realizing that we will not be together forever. The church is, is untrue. I was completely lost. And so I turned to the one thing that felt like a comfort to me and that was being drunk. And I was an extremely high functioning alcoholic. I was able to hold down a job. I was able to, to run the racing team. I was able to travel. I was able to be a parent. And, um, you know, I, I had that in the back of my mind, that whole thing about parents becoming abusive. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, their parent, their children hating them. And so I hit it even more. Yeah. And it just became such a secret. And there is a saying that they, they, do in AA it's like you're only as sick as your secrets and yeah and that was so true and it's so true today which is like why every time I share I feel so much better because you take that power away from it absolutely Uh, so I I just one day I had uh gotten super drunk on like the fourth of July and the next day I woke up and I was just like I can't fucking do this anymore because I would wake up at like three o'clock. I would pass out from drinking um, on the couch. And then I would wake up at three o'clock in the morning and I would be filled with intense shame, Mm. horrible anxiety, intense shame. And I would just lay there and I would be like, oh, my God, I am such a horrible, horrible human being. Um, And, you know, it it was really awful because my mental, you know, the way I was raised was digging the hole for me so yeah, to speak. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I woke up and I was like, I'm fucking done with this shit. And I uh, decided that I was going to do this. It's like a sober app. It's uh, called I am sober. Mm-hmm. I think. And so I just started like tracking the days that I was sober and um, I, I would get to like seven days and I'd be like, fuck yeah. And he would celebrate throughout the time. Like it'd say you're, you've been sober for 24 hours. How are you feeling? Um, you've been sober for a week, you know, document your changes. And I got to where I was like obsessed <laughs> with it. <laughs> that doesn't sound like you at all. Not at all. <laughs> so I kept it, I kept track of it and I never drank again. Wow. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that that is the way to recover my friends. I, I do not think that that's normal. <laughs> But um, that's just how it worked for me. I'm and so happy that worked for you. I'm so proud of you because thank you. that's, I, I can only imagine, incredibly difficult. But I love that you found a way that was very Kelly-centric. It's like, if <laughs> I get into something and I can see my progress, then you become obsessed. And it's like, oh, sweet. That really worked. <laughs> it worked really well for me. Uh, so, you know, like when I finally started getting um, counseling therapy and had my mental breakdown and went to the hospital. There are so many women. Sorry, that was tank. (laughs) I heard his little little shake, (laughs) his little ears flapping across his face. Um, (laughs) And a lot of the women that were in there with me were addicts. Um, And, you know, I had no idea that like you could die from detoxing from alcohol. Yeah. And I am, amazed amazed that I didn't die Mm. and I was so lucky so I do not recommend 
quitting something like that cold turkey if oh, it's right. been a, a, it's, it's been a, a big issue um you need to go to the hospital and make sure that that's monitored right um, so get help and that's what i'm going to talk about now we're okay. going to talk about recovery we've talked about addiction so um it I, there are five rules of recovery that i got from this handout that was given to me when i was inpatient it is uh, from a website i don't know i can't i can't find it i don't care um so it it was a website somewhere written by i'm sure psychologists uh so it says rule number 1 change your life so that it's easier not to use now mm-hmm. obviously this can apply to anything anything right. change your life like you have to make a complete complete shift a complete metamorphosis metamorphosis of, of, you know, getting into that, that better space, because if you're, you know, your friends are super drinking or, you know, you are, uh, you have, maybe you have friends who, who do crack. I don't know, but you can avoid, you know, being around those people. And it's the same thing with toxic friendships or toxic environments. Just, you've got to change your, your environment itself you have to get out of that situation in order to heal in order to grow just like with mormonism Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you should avoid the high-risk situations like people places and things those are are triggers for relapse and um i mean that it it makes complete sense it was like and i was constantly like I'm so sorry. I was constantly, <laughs> constantly <laughs> triggered. Um, and so, you know, I was drinking all the time. It like, it was so available. So it says to avoid those high risk situations, like people, places and things that will trigger you. Um, very smart to do that, but sometimes you just can't. Yeah. And so you have to figure out a game plan. You have to think ahead. Um, and the way that I was taught it was you think through that first drink, you think it through, you're like, okay, I, you know, I really, really, really want this drink, or I really, really, really want to go to my boyfriend's house, even though he's an asshole. And you're like, think it through. Mm -hmm. Let's, let's take a second to pause and be like, okay, if I do this, I know that I'm not going to be able to stop and I'm going to end up in the same position I was in before or worse. So you got to think it through. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I did want to mention something, a little something. Uh, so actually being around alcohol is super triggering for me now, but not because I used to be an alcoholic. Um, it's actually like, you know, I've said that that alcohol is super prevalent in the cycling world. And, you know, I had a friend, a friend of mine, um, got super drunk after his race at a, uh, at Tulsa, an event up North. And, um, he, he had done his race in the middle of the fucking day, which is hot as balls in Tulsa in the summer. And he came into the tent and started like drinking. There was a keg that was next to my tent. Um, and he was a friend of mine. And so we started talking and then something happened and, you know, it was horrible. I, I, uh, it was a horrible experience because I was assaulted in a few different ways. And, um, it was because, I mean, it wasn't because of alcohol necessarily. Cause you said if somebody will do something drunk, they'll do it sober. Yeah. Um, but 
alcohol played a huge part in it. Well, yeah, because he's an abuser. And so maybe if when he's sober, he whatever the whatever the word might be, he holds it in or can contain or whatever it is. But he has those urges when he's sober. You know that, right? Because he wouldn't uh-huh. do it uh, if he was drunk, if you know, if he wouldn't do it sober. So exactly. and I'm just ugh, just but the alcohol did enhance that in him. Yeah, you know, if, you're, if you're a shitty person when you're sober, you're probably going to be a very shitty person when you're drunk. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it does. It does typically go that way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so some of the things you can do, like before you're going into these situations, is also check and make sure that you are good. Like, don't go into these things hungry. Don't go pissed off or feeling all sad and emotional. Yeah. yeah. <gasps> don't go in by yourself. Don't you know, that was a big thing for me too. It's like, I, I needed that liquid courage Mm -hmm. because I didn't, again, I didn't have any confidence in myself as who I was. I had to find something to get me to where I was like this funny, cool person to Mm. hang around. Um, (laughs) and I thought I was cool when I was drunk. I was not cool. (laughs) I think everyone thinks that they're way cooler. I was like, I'm hilarious. No, I wasn't. So it's it's the acronym is HALT. So you don't go in hungry. You don't go in angry. I like to say it's not just angry. It's like all of those big, heavy emotions. Yeah. Um, you don't go in. I don't like calling those bad emotions anymore. I think I'm just yeah. going to call them heavy. Yeah, I like that. Okay. Um, so you go in lonely and don't go in tired. Um, because, I mean, when you're just not 100%, you're just going to do stupid shit, right? Right. So, yeah. You know, try, try so hard to avoid those situations. Think about that halt. And also your strongest cravings typically occur later in the day. Mm, Okay. When things start winding down, because during the day you have a lot of distractions, you have a job, you have, you know, all kinds of things going on. And then in the evening you're like, okay, now what do I do? Oh, here are my thoughts. Fuck that. (laughs) I'm going to drink. Right. Right. Okay. Um, Also, you need to rule number two, ask for help. And develop mm. a recovery circle. Mm. Now your recovery, it's because addiction is so isolating. I cannot tell you how alone I felt um, because I felt like I was this, not only was I wearing a mask that I was complete, someone completely different. I just knew that I was a horrible human being mm. because, you know, my patriarchal blessing said that I, you know, if I followed the word <sighs> of wisdom, you know. I hate that. So that was always back in my mind. I was like, oh, my God, you know, I'm basically I'm going to be nothing because I'm drinking. And, you know, I literally could have been nothing uh, with the amount of drinking I was doing. But, um, you know, you need to to develop a recovery circle so that you don't feel so alone, don't feel so isolated. Um, and so that can be your close family members. It can be friends. But I highly, highly, highly recommend health professionals, counseling and a self-recovery, self-help recovery group. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Highly recommend it. And there are many, many recovery groups that are geared towards um, people who do not have faith in God. They're secular. Uh, So I would like, because I can't find my phone, um, they're on that. But uh, I would like to put a link, Katie, in the show notes of places. Oh, absolutely. I think that would be very helpful. Okay. Now, rule number three is you have to be completely honest with yourself Mm. and everyone in your recovery circle. 
because oh, again, man. you're only as sick as your secrets. Yeah. Wow. And how difficult for, you know, going from keeping it secret for so long to then being completely truthful. That's quite the 180. Yeah. You know, I never even thought about that, Katie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's it's so it's so hard because it's so uncomfortable and then you have yep. those uncomfortable feelings and then, oh, my God, the cycle starts again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So rule number four is you need to practice self-care and, you know, self-care can be anything that, you know, helps you center yourself. Um, For me, sometimes it's just sitting in my car, which is probably (laughs) why my videos are of me sitting in my car. I love your car videos. (laughs) (laughs) What did I call it? Um, Confessions. Car oh, yeah. Confessions with Kelly. And yes. I was like, I cannot do that. Please shoot me now. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you practice self-care. One of the things <laughs> when I was in group, I was like, I've leveled up with my self-care because I started, you know, I was watching TV and instead of playing a video game, I started unsubscribing from all my spam emails. And I was oh, like, yeah. this is like self-care 2.0 because it's super productive. So I was really <laughs> proud of myself for that. Very good. Um, so yeah, self-care doesn't mean you're escaping it. It just means that you're, you're giving it a pause you are looking inward and, you know, just like making sure that, that yourself, your inner core being is, is okay. Yeah. And gets a little bit of love and you need it every single day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's essential. Um, and then rule number five is don't bend the rules or try to negotiate your recovery. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So I can't tell you how many times I would like try to drink like a normal human being. And mm-hmm. um, I, I just I would try so hard to be like, OK, I'm not going to drink until the weekends. And then I would be like, OK, you know, Thursday's close enough. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be like, Monday would be an extended three-day weekend oh my god and then I'm like Tuesday and Wednesday I'm like you know Monday through you know every other day I'm drinking and I just need you know I I might as well be consistent you know (laughs) oh my god I know you're bending the rules yeah and I would try these things where I would like have this one girl and I tried together these rubber bands on our wrist and we would wear them throughout the week and we were allotted a certain number of drinks and then we had to take a rubber band off and when the rubber bands were gone we couldn't have any more drinks how do we think that went how did it go not very well <laughs> I was usually out of rubber bands by Tuesday oh man oh no I know and then I felt awful because I failed. It's just the cycle oh, that continues. Cycle. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. The the most important thing you can do for yourself is get help, get therapy. You know, like find that group of people. Um, there are also medications that can actually help you with addiction. Um, for a while there, I tried this medication called Naltrexone, mm-hmm. and it curbs your appetite for um, alcohol. So it basically just helps you uh, curb the cravings. Um, there was another one that was like super violent. Like if you if you drank alcohol while you're on this medicine, you would probably shart. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> it would like punish you 
fiercely. <laughs> oh, God. I did not try that one. But, you know, I think that's kind of a brutal way to do it. And also, I think it's kind of a way of you punishing yourself. So then you get into those habits yeah. of, you know, taking it and drinking because you feel like you're a piece of shit and you deserve it. So, you know, you've yeah. got to work on you. You've got to work on you. Yeah. And I think it's important to to just not be, I mean, as much as you can be, not ashamed and not don't put so much guilt on yourself. And I love that you've come on here to talk about this because most people, if they have struggled with it or are struggling with it, they won't talk about it, which, you know, is understandable because of society and especially how we were raised. It's like this shameful stigma. But I think when we take the shame away, more people can get help and can recover and be happier. And that's, that's what we want. So I thank you so much for just shedding light on this. And then also for giving resources too. That's really important. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, we can do this, we can do this together. And you're allowed to be human, you guys, please be human, be yourself. Yeah, accept yourself and love yourself warts and all, as my mom would say. <laughs> yeah, um, because it's come out of the shadows. It's not shameful to have a problem. It's no. not. And you're not alone. And um, and nobody's perfect. Everyone has a thing. Everyone has something that they think is bad or that's wrong with them or whatever. But yeah. everybody's different. And as long as you're trying to be better, that's what's most important. Like, do the best that you can. Yeah, yeah. do the best. And give yourself some grace because relapse is part of the recovery journey. Mm-hmm. That just happens. It's it's okay if you just look at the bigger picture. Because I relapsed a fuck ton of times. But when I looked at the bigger picture, it was like, okay. But then, you know, there was there basically there were years where I didn't drink because of how much time that I took a break from it. And so maybe not years. It was probably like months, but whatever. <laughs> um and, you know, so you've got to look at your progress and um, just keep going forward because you're fucking worth it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, thank you, Kelly. You're the best. Thank you. I say these things in the name of Satan. Amen. <laughs> Amen. We'll be back next week, you guys. <laughs> Bye. Bye.